재미와 지식의 오디오 라이프 팝빵. What time is it? Do you know what time it is? Prime time. It's prime time. Well, we have a brand new segment as I previewed, and it is now set to begin every Friday. At this time, we have news in retrospect. This is a segment where we get some analysis on some of the major news stories from decades past. Uh, learn more about how they altered the course of South Korean history. And to help us out with this, we're very pleased to have joining us uh, Kang Hyeryun in the studio. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you. It's good to see you. Well, um, we've got a lot to talk about, I'm sure. Can you uh, tell us about our first uh, news story? I'd love to. Uh, The first story I got for you today is a dramatic story. So 30 years ago, on March 13, 1986, two South Koreans escaped to the U.S. Embassy in Vienna, seeking asylum from Kim Jong-il, the North Korean leader at the time. And these were no ordinary South Koreans. They were Choi Eun-hee and Shin Sang-wook. Shin Sang-wook was the very commercially successful director in South Korea, and Choi Eun-hee was a popular actress who starred in a lot of his films. And they were thought to be dead because they were missing for eight years. What had actually happened was they were abducted by Kim Jong-il separately and then reunited in North Korea at a dinner party in Pyongyang a few years later. And here's the romantic twist. Choi and Shin were formerly married and divorced in South Korea. And in North Korea, under coercion, they were forced to live together, and they ended up getting married again. Right. So I guess there's one, I suppose, silver lining in this abduction. Some people might wonder, why were they abducted in the first place? They had the misfortune of having Kim Jong-il as a super fan. Mm. Kim Jong-il was an amazing uh, movie lover, as everyone knows, and he wanted Che and Shin to make movies for him to promote North Korea's movie industry. Take a listen to Kim Jong-il's voice recorded secretly by the couple during a long conversation about Kim Jong-il's vision about movies in North Korea and them. The atmosphere sounds convivial, because it had to be. It was a Mm -hmm. conversation with a dictator. They actually made seven movies uh, between 1983 and 1986, the year they escaped. And Shin and Che enjoyed an incredible amount of freedom from Kim Jong-il. Shin had a studio under his own name, and they were allowed to make movies abroad. And this is important because North Koreans got an unprecedented glimpse of life abroad. Mm. All they could talk about was that first 10, 15 minutes shot on the streets of Prague where, you know, oh, okay, wait, the buildings look amazing. People are walking into businesses. They're all dressed differently. There's cars. What? That's Paul Fisher in an interview with This American Life. Uh, Paul's an author of a Kim Jong-il production, which is the book precisely on this story. Certainly dramatic, as you say. Uh, What's happened after they escaped? 
Well, so in 1986, March, they escaped in Vienna during a film festival. They managed to get rid of the minders and take a taxi to the U.S. Embassy. And they ended up living in the U.S. until 1994, not South Korea, because ironically, under the military dictatorship, Shin had more freedom to make movies in North Korea than in South Korea. Mm. Um, So after they came back to South Korea in 1994, Che and Shin stayed married until Shin's death in 2002. Now, as stories with North Korea go, um, it's hard to verify their testimonies, but we do have their recording of Kim Jong-il, and we do have the films they made in North Korea. And speaking of films, uh, look out for a documentary that's coming out in theaters this year. It's Lovers and the Despot, directed by Rob Kanan and Ross Adams. Uh, on this story. Yeah, very fascinating indeed and more renewed attention because of that documentary. Important to remember that Kim Jong-il was actually not the leader at the time. Kim Il-sung was still alive and so he was just kind of going on, as you say, with his obsession with films. What's our second story? Uh, Let's shift gears a little and talk about the very city that most of our listeners are living in, Mm -hmm. Seoul. So, uh, 25 years ago, on March 12, 1991, Shimun reported, rising living and housing prices marked the first ever decrease in the growth of Seoul's population. And this article points out a trend that's still making headlines today. And um, a lot of South Korean media call this trend the exodus from Seoul, or Taesol. Okay. Exodus usually kind of has some biblical references. Tell us more about this exodus. Well... It's not that dramatic. Basically, exodus means the population is declining in Seoul because more people are leaving the city. The population peaked at 10.97 million in the early 90s, and it's been declining since. Last year's exodus was around 140,000 people, which is the highest in 18 years. And there are many reasons for this. Um, There's the rising cost of living and housing and retirees leaving the city because of an increasingly aging society. But I wanted to find out what Seoulites had to say about living in Seoul. So I went to a place in Seoul, one of the most expensive places in Seoul, and arguably one of the highest housing prices in the country. Take a listen. I'm standing here in Gangnam, and around me there are skyscrapers with hagwons and banks and hospitals and coffee shops and lots and lots of people. I'm here to ask Seoulites what they think about living in Seoul. Uh, my name is Adam Kim, and I'm 24 this year, and I've been living in Gyeongsan, which is uh, located in nearby Daegu, and I've been living in Seoul for four years. Do you want to go back to Gyeongsan? No. <laughs> I want to get a job here and live here. Yeah, I don't want to get go back. I can't exactly say living in Seoul is much better than other uh, living in small places, but they, I think they are giving us more opportunity. Yeah, it's really helpful for me as a student. So... It may be very expensive, as Chance pointed out in the earlier segment, and there may be an exodus, so-called exodus, with people leaving. But as far as many young people are concerned, Seoul is still the place to be. And reality is not as dramatic as the word exodus implies. Here's the opinion of an expert. That's Professor Lee Hyun-sok at the real estate department at Gongguk University. And he says the trend is not that serious of a problem because most of the people leaving Seoul are leaving to Gyeonggi province, which means half the Seoul is still in the greater Seoul area, which comprises half of the country's population. So whatever the headlines may say about a big exodus, 
um, I want to quote Professor Lee here, Seoul still reigns as the center of South Korea. Yeah, and there's a lot of back and forth between, uh, is that a good thing? Is there an imbalance? Uh, should we spread the wealth a little bit? But uh, a lot of people also feel uh, also that it is important to have this sort of a world-class city. Uh, we are getting close to out of time, but I know you have one more uh, story you, um, you've you brought for us. Uh, what is this one going to be about? Uh, the last story is a sensitive topic, but it's also a good chance to reflect on South Korean democracy, how far it's come and how much more it needs to go. 20 years ago, on March 11th, 1996, trials began for the first time against former presidents Chun Doo-hwan and Noh tae And the charges were corruption, military coup, and massacre. For example, uh, President Chun Doo-hwan was... Uh, criticized for orchestrating the Gwangju massacre in 1980, where civilians were protesting against his coup d'etat and hundreds were suppressed and killed by the military. The two former leaders were arrested in 1995 under President Kim Yong-sam, who was South Korea's first civilian president, and they were finally sentenced in 1996. Uh, President Chun Doo-hwan got life and Noh tae got 17 years. Right, but that is not how the, uh, the verdict ended up being, right? That's correct. The same president, Kim Yong-sam, overturned the decision in 1997 and pardoned the two leaders. Take a listen to this clip. I'm deeply sorry to the Korean people for causing concern over a long period of time. That was former President Chun Doo-hwan speaking in front of the press right after he was released from jail. This was a controversial decision at the time, and it still is a controversial decision, which is ironic because President Kim Yong-sam had intended to unify the country politically. But this this decision is one of the biggest sources of polarization today. And briefly, uh, where are they now? Well, they're still making headlines for slush funds they gathered in the past. For example, last year, the Korean government seized around $1 million of Chun Doo-hwan's U.S. assets, which is not a lot compared to the millions of dollars he actually gathered. Otherwise, they're sometimes spotted in golf courses and other venues, and they're keeping a pretty low public profile and living under heavy police protection. Certainly the legacy uh, remains. It is a painful legacy for some. It is polarizing, as you say. Uh, Chun Doo-hwan, for his part... um, really uh, outliving a lot of other uh, subsequent presidents of his time. This was a great segment. Uh, We thank you for the reporting, Hedin, and we uh, look forward to more from next week. Likewise. Thanks very much. We're going to take a short break. Our final segment, News Digest, is coming up. Stay tuned. You're listening to Primetime.